We're ready. <laughs> We're going. We've begun. Hi, Holly. What's up, Olivia? How are you doing on this fine, it looks like sunny day in Korea? Oh, it's a cracker. It's an absolute cracker. It's so blue out there. And the blue days are always really wonderful because the paluti days can be really terrible. Um, and we are kind of moving into this like nice spot. This it's this the there is this amazing sweet spot in Korea, in Korea between summer and autumn and it is just awesome where it's like warm then it's a little bit cooler in the mornings there's a bit of a breeze and it's like you can wear pants or shorts and feel comfortable with either that's optimal I like that weather where it can be pants or shorts and it can also be like t-shirt or like a light sweater yeah and like either way you're going to be okay it's just yeah. like temperate and pleasant yeah. yeah totally that's, that's the kind of weather that British people are built for yeah built for extreme temperatures it's the breeze like I love a good little mm. breeze you know with um sunshine and just a slight breeze it's it's so pleasant so pleasant that's why that, that's why being next to the ocean is so good because you yeah. always have that like mm, little sort of ocean sea breeze and it's just perfect yeah and for some reason true. it's well at least in the summer it's more likely to be sunny by the ocean yeah um but it was your birthday this week oh yeah I totally forgot even though it was yesterday uh yeah I didn't do very many birthday things yesterday besides a call with my family um but I we have birthday birthday events this weekend birthday plans this weekend so we're so doing a we know that Saturday yeah spa so what else are you doing on Sunday we rented this like a fire pit as you guys know Kevin loves fire pits um <laughs> if you didn't now you do uh, we went to a fire pit at this there's like this uh like food truck um area in San Francisco um and you can rent they have like tables and stuff there or you can rent a fire pit and you can get food from all the food trucks and they give you like s'mores kits to make on your oh, fire s'mores. Pit. Yeah, yeah 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 cool yeah um s'mores I actually just I found out about s'mores when I came to Korea teaching like years and years and years and years ago for a year and I met Canadians and they talked about s'mores and I was like what is this s'more situation um and I actually don't think that I've actually tried a s'more though it's a marshmallow and chocolate and the crackers right yeah yeah so so I most British people probably wouldn't grow up having s'mores because my dad had his like early teenage years in the US mm. we did grow up making s'mores except with digestive biscuits instead of yes. instead of graham crackers um but this is the our favorite Korean restaurant in Beijing um one of the desserts you could get there was s'mores so you could make s'mores on your Korean barbecue oh, uh, so it was funny. like a Korean version of s'mores yeah so I don't know maybe maybe we can I'll bring some marshmallows we can head out to one of the Korean barbecues and we can try and convince them to let us make s'mores they might let us do it you know it's one of those things they'd be like these weird foreigners yeah totally. just let them do their crazy things yeah but um digestive biscuits like definitely made for a s'more situation definitely they're a little thick they're a little thick for a s'more situation because because you've got two of them and then when you bite, uh, yeah, they're not, you know, I feel like they weren't made to be eaten stacked to a time, even though it's a delicious way to consume them. 
There are um, digestive yeah. there are digestives that are thinner now though. You can get thinner ones. And they, they would probably work better. Yeah. And what would it be like to do s'mores with digestives, digestive biscuits that have the chocolate layer? It would be it works. A good contribution. You want it like a bit more. I would say like you yeah, they're like a good, you know, at least that way you get chocolate with every bite. Yeah. So we've optimized, you know, yeah. the we like to call it the, in the Parisian family, we call it the PLB, the perfect last bite. You know, <laughs> oh, you want yeah. to make sure that the last one's good. So that oh, way no. you've always got a pretty good PLB, but but maybe you need a little bit more chocolate addition. Yeah. Although I reckon I'm more interested in the um, perfect, the PFB, mm. the perfect first bite. Because I think that the first bite with things is always... Although, if you're having something like a burrito or something, it takes a little bit to get into what could potentially be the best bite because you've kind of got to get around the edge. Yeah, all those like burrito, bagel, sandwich, there's always an edge. Yeah. You have to push past. (laughs) Push past initial discomfort to get to the good stuff. A theme we can use over and over again. Oh, my goodness. The things that we spend time and energy thinking about. Um, But um, the things that we do spend time um, thinking about and spending energy on is just reading stuff and learning stuff. So um, we are going to do a Q&A party today. We're just going to do a couple of questions, but we're just going to start our episode with, um, I was just sharing something with Holly before and she and she said, why not we share something from um, maybe a paper or something that we've read this week because both of us do a lot of reading ourselves. And so that's what we're doing. So Holly, do you want to share something that you've learned this week or something that was interesting um, that you learned, read? What have I learned this week? That is a great question. <laughs> um, you go first and then okay. let me let me gather some of the stuff that I read this week. Um, Well, I read um, an interesting piece, which was um, talking about a systematic review, um, which was called Mindfulness-Based Interventions for the Recovery of Mental Fatigue. And it was about um, how mindfulness practices can be helpful for performance in the gym. And they looked at a few studies. There wasn't a lot of like hard stuff around this that was like, yes, doing mindfulness practice absolutely improves performance. But I think that we kind of know that some kind of mindfulness practice is probably going to increase performance like with anything that we do, really. Um, It's kind of like a given. But I thought it was just kind of like a cool thing. And what they did talk about, um, and I think that this can be really, why I thought this was interesting as well, because I think that this can be really applicable, applicable for people, because often people are going into workouts and using exercise and um, workouts as a way to relieve stress, which is fine, which is fine. But if we're using exercise as a means to manage stress, and that's the only thing, then that can be problematic in itself. And that's a whole nother podcast, I think, for us to talk about. Um, But if we are going into a workout and we've had maybe a really hard day, stressful day, maybe you're about to leave the office or something and then you got an email from your boss saying you have to get this thing finished or there was, I don't know, you you have had a hard day with your children. 
just feeling that kind of mental fatigue and how performance can be impacted from that in the gym. So maybe um, your skills are a little bit off, like motor controls a little bit off, things just feel a little bit weird. We can offset that a little bit, that mental fatigue that you might be feeling going into a workout so that you can get the most out of the work that you're doing in there by bringing in a small mindfulness practice before you actually start your workout. And I actually talk about this in different kind of ways anyway, is that often I find it useful to have like a transition, an intentional transition period, especially if people work out at home, you know, if they are doing their work and then have some kind of transition into their workout so that they're not taking all of that stuff with them into their exercise. Um, So they were just talking about this and that could be as simple as doing like five minutes of breathing you know, closing your eyes and doing some breathing. It could be like a short meditation. It could be doing the breathe app on your Apple watch or something like that for five to 15 minutes. And that can offset some mental fatigue that you can feel and perhaps contribute to a better workout performance wise than it would have been if you hadn't done that. So it's kind of like a given, but I thought it was kind of interesting and um, quite relevant to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that, um, I think something both of us do is kind of getting people to set intent, even like before they're going to work out, set an intention before they go into the workout. And I think even that's like a little sort of mini mindfulness practice, right? To be like, okay, instead of running straight from whatever I was doing, into my workout like what do I actually want to get out of this what what am I here for like let me put myself into this moment a little bit and even just from a, like an enjoyment of your workout perspective yeah it's like it end up being a lot better and I think also with like something like this I mean we know that this kind of stuff is helpful we know that breathing is helpful we know sending intentions is helpful you know like all of these things but it's like we see this stuff so much that we kind of become immune to it and we don't kind of remember that it's actually a thing that can be helpful or it almost seems too basic that it's hard, you know? And so as always, when we have a little bit of science or like something to back it up, it's like, I don't know, it kind of gives it a little bit more validity, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes sometimes we need that reminder yeah a little bit of validation yeah right which is exactly what it is um yeah so I was thinking about what I'd read this week as you were doing that and I had to go back through because I I tried to read tabs and I closed them all and I was like oh my god what did I read um but I think one I think we've mentioned him before but Peter Atia has like a really great newsletter that he sends out and in terms of like learning to critically analyze studies which is like see both sides of a study like what's good about it but also like what's you know maybe not so great about it he he's just like so so good for that um but anyway one of the studies he talked about this week was from uh this guy Dr. Kevin Hall who's one of the sort of main researchers on sort of like calories food addiction stuff obesity stuff um so they did a new study where they were looking at sort of like the reward signaling in the brain and how that might be different between reduced fat diets and reduced uh carbohydrate diets um and although the overall is kind of like uh you know um it can be debated it can always be debated 
what they found was, I, I don't know if it's terribly surprising once we explain it, but they basically found that reduced fat di- diets um, sort of basically decreased the amount of um, reward signaling in the brain, whereas a reduced carbohydrate diet uh, seemed to increase it. Mm. Sorry. Do I mean that? Reduced fat diet increase. Yeah, reduced fat diet increased. Sorry. So basically, the, when there was less fat in the diet, there was an increase in the reward signaling in the brain. When there was reduced carbohydrates in the diet, there was a decrease in the amount of reward signaling in the brain. Um, and for them, they basically said, okay, this could be a reason why low fat diets are harder to maintain. Um, but they also said that overall, the calorie intake didn't necessarily differ so they were trying to look at it from like a obesity standpoint as well as an eating behavior standpoint um yeah i don't know if it's i don't know if it's crazy surprising overall but it's just like a little bit more it's adding more nuance to the sort of like is a calorie just a calorie yeah. kind of debate which i think is still really rife on social media you see a lot of people being like it's just calories in calories out and then there's other people who are like no way it's not it's there's so much more yeah totally as always the truth tends to be somewhere in the middle yeah do you think that that's got anything to do with like volume as well I mean like if we're thinking about carbohydrates having like contributing more to that because you can get I mean it's more voluminous like if you're having more if you're having I mean fat is kind of like more like well I thought you know I thought it was more sort of satiating but this you get a lot less for what you're actually having where carbohydrates you're kind of getting do you know what I mean do you think that that could have anything to do with it I think also it's probably to do with how they're digested in the body and how of course yeah in the in the study but yeah I would I mean I wouldn't be surprised I mean they seem to be kind of they would seem to be a little bit surprised at the results and I think that's probably to do with like the areas in the brain that came up because if um, you were looking at like if you had like two things there so if you had like the same amount of calories as like in like almonds like it's a really small amount and the same amount of calories and like I don't know a piece of bread or something like that like I'd say that the bread would look more enticing because it's like more food. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> I like. I think. I think also then we've got to say, you know, like the way that our body sends those signals to our brain is right. about way more than just exactly the yeah. energy value, right? It's also like it does send feedback back about the the volume that's in yeah. your yeah, stomach, totally. and also and the you know that research that we talked about before from uh, Dr. Alia Crum, yeah, on the that milkshake experiment if no yeah. one if you guys haven't yeah. read about that it's absolutely fascinating she basically gave people the same milkshake told one group it was like a you know super high calorie ice cream you know mcdonald's milkshake whatever and the other group that it was like a protein shake mm. um and the physiological reaction in the body were totally different based on how they thought about the food so yeah. if you're looking at like an almond versus a piece of bread and you're like wow yeah like because the bread is high volume that i believe that that's going to be way more satiating and and more rewarding you can imagine how that might have but and when I said that as well though I was like yeah but our perception of things is not so 
it's not so crystal clear like our perception of things is made up of like our past experiences and our history yeah. and what our beliefs around food and all of that kind of stuff right so it is all brain signaling stuff like which I feel like all of that could if we were going to if we were going to pull apart that study that could totally be stuff you could bring in right if, if yeah. they were being like okay you have these results but like what were these people's backgrounds what were their relationships with food like what did they believe about the foods that they were eating like what do they eat normally versus what they would put on all this stuff could come in and make the reaction that comes up in your brain totally different so good so juicy so interesting um bodies are crazy oh bodies brains bodies and brains brains are both super crazy (laughs) um speaking of bodies and brains um I mean, that could go anywhere, really, couldn't it? Because we just talk about bodies and brains. But um, should we go on to our first? It's a perfect segue. (laughs) It will always be a perfect segue. So let's go on to our first question, Holly. So I'm going to read this out and I'm going to get you to maybe give it some context and then um, we can talk about it. So the question is, is it more important to prioritize sleep quality or sleep quantity? And I would say that this for me right now as someone who is not getting a lot of either with a baby is um, very pertinent. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's pertinent to quite a lot of people. Right. And I think that, yeah, yes, obviously new moms and just parents in general, also people who have very busy periods of work or working shifts. And sometimes the shifts come back to back in kind of an unpleasant way or, um, you know, the contact this came up in for me was a client who like on a quarterly basis based on her job tends to have like extremely busy end of quarter beginning of next quarter um sort of chunks every three months um and normally is very consistent with sleep schedule and during this time was basically like I you know I I can force in the sleep window but then I end up you know lying awake for an hour or whatever and freaking out about all the work and blah, blah, blah. and so the reason I put this in is because I think sometimes people get really stuck on the sleep window because it's talked about so much mm. you know you hear everywhere oh seven to nine hours seven to nine hours seven to nine hours and it's like yeah like it's it's pretty good like if you can get that then great but if you're getting seven to nine hours but like, your quality of your sleep is shit you're not going to be getting out of sleep the purpose of sleep and again, I don't know about you, but when I was going through like insomnia, hypothalamic, amenorrhea stuff, I was still getting like eight hours of sleep a night, but my body couldn't do the things it was supposed to be doing in that time because the quality of it mm. was severely lacking. And so for me, the reason I put this in was because I think sometimes it's good to step away and be like, am I obsessing over this like sleep wind? Like, you know, the question we always ask, who told you that? Mm. Like, where did I learn this? And, and what was the purpose of that message? And the purpose of the seven to nine hours sleep message is like, cool, if you're not trying to make that amount of time for yourself, it'd be great. It'd be great to try. Mm. It'd be great to try and see if you can do it. And if you can move some things around to enable you to get seven to nine hours of sleep, wonderful. But if you're going through like an extremely stressful period of life or a very busy period of life and you're choosing between, should I try to get seven hours of sleep? Or should I stay awake for an extra 30 to 60 minutes decompressing and then only get six hours of sleep? I would probably say to choose the latter for most people. You're probably going to end up feeling much more refreshed if you take the time before sleep 
to like chill than trying to close your laptop and get into bed. And that's that was the reason that I put this in here. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and I would say on that as well is that if, you know, thinking about your client, that she has these seasons, I think that what's really key about that is that she has these times in her year where it is really hectic and it's a bit grindy and there might be compromises where she's not getting as much sleep. So the quantity of sleep is a little bit less. Um, but that that's not happening all the time. So that's where, you know, if you are someone whose sleep, um, you know, you're not getting as much sleep like all the time, then that's something to kind of like think about like, okay, where do I actually need to let things go in my life? Or what do I need to change? Because this is something that is ongoing. Because we can go through these times and we do. It's like we work really hard and then we rest, but we have to have the rest. And we all have parts, you know, times in our life where it is like really grindy. Um, like this week for me, I have had to do a lot of late nights after Alfie goes to bed because I've got a deadline with something. But I also know, and I know this from all of my years of doing this now, that I rest really hard once I get to the end of that deadline. And it's not that I'm catching up on sleep, I'm just coming back to my baseline. And so I go through this process like of this week and last week of making compromises and being like, okay, I'm gonna be a little bit more tired and these are the things I need to be aware of because they pop up for me when I'm tired, you know, in terms of like food choices, my thoughts, how I'm feeling about myself, you know, those kind of things. Um, but I also know that I'm going to be resting at the end of this. And next week, I'm not going to be having these late nights and I'm going to say no to a few things so I can create some more space. But I think that the problem is when we're constantly in that grind, um, and the sleep, uh, like the amount of sleep that we're getting is always being compromised. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, it should be like a, it, if we can keep working, like chipping away at that quantity thing, then obviously that's our priority. But if it's, if you're just on that borderline, yeah, for a short period of time, like to, like even tonight is a good example for me, right? Like mm. I'm going to finish recording this podcast at a time where I would normally be asleep already. And so if I was to like desperately try to cling to a specific sleep window, I would like roll from my chair into bed and then try and close my eyes. I probably wouldn't get great sleep trying to do that. I'm going to get a lot better sleep if after this I am like, cool, I'm probably going to get an hour less sleep than usual, um, which Olivia's like, yeah, cool. Like what, what a hard life you have. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm probably getting an hour less sleep than usual, um, but it's going to be a lot better if I like go and read my book for half an hour and then try to go to sleep. Like it, it's just going to work out better. In the yeah. Long um totally and that, that it can be so stressful like when you're like oh my gosh I've got to go to sleep because I have to wake up at this time um but to just allow yourself like just know it's like open up the space and be like I know that tomorrow I might be a little bit tired and that's okay because I'm I can manage like it's it's okay and I can get through it and have things in place for that as well for 
you know, what can often come up for you when you are tired so that you can sort of look at, look after yourself. But yeah, definitely having that window, even, you know, when I, um, I'm back up in the night feeding Alfie, cause he's just a hungry little friend. Um, and I have to, even if I get up in, in the night and it's like two o'clock feeding him and I go back to bed at three, I have to read. Like I have to read a couple of pages because I have to still, that's something that I have to just unwind from and I can't just go back to sleep. And there've been so many times where I have gone back to bed and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to go to sleep because I've only got like an hour and then I have to get up or something. I will still read because I know that I'll probably fall back asleep and get a good chunk before I have to get up again. Yeah, hundred percent. And and same thing for me. If I wake up in the night, uh, luckily I don't have to feed a hungry friend. Um, but <laughs> yeah, if I wake up in the night, Kevin just came I'll... straight. Kevin just came to me. <laughs> just, like... just Kevin outside, like holy. <laughs> ah. um, oh, yeah, fortunately, he's probably listening outside, and he's like, "What a great yeah. <laughs> two a.m. sandwich." Sign me up. Um, yeah, but even if I wake up in the night, I do, I come back and I have to read as well. Because, yeah. And there's so many times where I'm like, I'm so tired. I'll just, this time I don't need to. And I'll try to go back to sleep. And then I'm like, no, no. Yeah. You, you still needed to just do the, just do the reading. Yeah, uh, totally. Yes. Yeah. Um, cool, Holly. Great question. Um, so on to our next one, um, which I think is a great question and something that, 100% comes up um, with my clients a lot as well. And I think that both of you and I actually had a time in our life where maybe this came up for us um, a lot too. So the question is, I think I want to work on my relationship with food and my body. But every time I seem to take a few steps, um, I then get scared and quit. How can I move past this? Yes. And I think when we first started talking, you and I, we pro- we were probably both in this um, phase and being able to share that with each other was actually quite mm. helpful. Um, the reason I put this question in here is because like you said, it comes up for so many people, us included. And I think that everyone who hits this stage kind of sits in it being like, what is wrong with me? Like, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I just pick a direction? And so we get stuck in this bit where we're like, I definitely don't want to stay where I'm at, but I'm also like, I definitely don't want the risks of the place that I want to go. And so we go back and forth between either one. We'll probably do a whole podcast on this at some point, but like, this is basically a stage of change. Like this is a step that's necessary to go through for making a change. That means you've already gotten past the point where you're like, not even thinking about changing at all. You're past that because you're at least thinking about both sides, right? And so now you're in the next stage, which is kind of like, okay, like I'm, I'm kind of thinking about making a change, but I can still see a lot of reasons for both sides of this coin. It's a, that's a natural part of the change process. And the next stage after that, if you keep pushing through it, would then be to start like sort of gathering momentum. Like you've gone up one side of the hill and now you're starting to roll down the other side of the hill. So I wanted to put it in to be like, this will happen to you when if you start making that decision that you're like cool I I do want to start working my relationship with food and all my body you it's very unlikely that you'll skip this step almost certainly you'll reach a point where you're like 
oh my God, I feel like I'm just going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. Mm. If you keep quitting, then yes, you'll trap yourself in it. But I think if you know that it's a part of the stages of change, you're like, oh, like, okay, it doesn't feel good, but I know that it's normal. Even just knowing that can be enough for you to be like, oh, cool. So I can stick with it. It's not actually a, you know, a reflection of my reality. It's just a thing that I go through in the process of making a big change in my life. Mm. And I think this can be really hard as well because we see people on Instagram and they're like, oh my God, I have this amazing relationship with my body and and I'm so happy and I can eat anything and it's okay and we... And that is a really, really hard thing to see when you are in this place where you're like, I don't want to feel like I do anymore. And I want that quotation mark freedom. Um, but I'm terrified of all the things that could potentially happen or that are going to happen along the way. Or, you know, this idea of like letting myself go. Um, so yeah that can be really hard when we're seeing that stuff and we're not seeing someone's journey although I would say that I think a lot of people that do talk about this stuff on the internet um maybe still have a lot of their own stuff going on underneath and I know that to be true for many people who I know personally who talk about this stuff and it's not actually truth so um there are a couple of things that just quickly come to my head um, with this is first of all, give yourself more time. Because I think that when we're thinking about making change, it's like, oh my gosh, I I should have been doing this yesterday. You know, Um, I should already be here. What if, if you were in this place of wanting to make change, but it is just feeling really hard and you maybe make a few steps and then you feel like you want to quit, is that you actually just, set yourself a a year you know um instead of thinking that it needs to be done now or it should be you should be at this certain place already what if you actually say to yourself I'm going to give myself like a whole year to just kind of be in this and do this and then it takes any kind of timeline or urgency away from it so that you can be in your process Um, And I know that that's actually what I did with um, getting my period back. I gave myself a year and I actually got it back within a month. (laughs) But um, that's a lot of what I did leading up to that. And the other thing that comes up for me with this is looking at those fears and looking at what you think is going to happen if you do the things that you think that you need to do to improve your relationship with food and your body. Is it that you think that you need to, um, you know, have chocolate in the house and allow yourself to eat chocolate, you know, as one of the things of like intuitive eating, you know, just allow yourself to, to eat the food. And are you afraid that you're going to gain a lot of weight? And what is that going to mean about you going to the absolute end of the extreme of what you think is actually going to happen can be a really, really helpful thing to um, understand, you know, catastrophizing. So what is the most terrible thing that you think can happen? And 
ask yourself, can I handle it? Like, what would I do in that situation? And I think that when we really like write down all of those fears and like the worst possible things that we think can happen, we can actually, it's not a negative thing. It's actually just being like, oh, okay, cool. Like I can actually handle this and this is what I would do in this situation. And that can be a helpful thing to kind of like set you up for change. Oh yeah, I love that. I, I, I the version of that I use, I stole from Tim Ferriss, and he calls it fear setting. And so you can Google fear setting, and it will come up with Tim Ferriss, and he talked about it in a TED talk, and he has a really nice blog article on it, and it, it's so good. And if you have anxiety, like just do it, for, do it for everything. It's so yeah. helpful. Um, and then also think about the other side too, mm. and the potential positives, like what also positive could come out of it. Because looking into the fear setting stuff, I think is extremely helpful and important. Because I think there's a lot of like, don't even think about it. Like it won't happen. It's like, no, no, no. just mm. make the plan so that you can be like, okay, brain, like when that fear comes up, if that happens, I've got the plan. All good. I, I feel you. I also think that's dangerous. We're in this together. But then also making sure that we've got like a vision of where we want to move towards. Because otherwise we'll just end up like sticking ourselves in that sort of like, fear cycle so yeah do that and then afterwards write down all the positive outcomes that might happen and then write down like how you would react to those positive outcomes happening and how that could change things for you so you do both ends of the spectrum yeah and I really like what you just said there about detaching from your thoughts there being like okay brain like I hear you and your brain wanting to quit that stuff is when we can think about our brain as like always just keeping us safe, it can be a really relieving kind of thing. And you can actually say, oh my gosh, brain, thank you so much. You're actually just trying to keep me safe right now because change is scary. Doing anything different is scary because our brains always want to keep us in homeostasis. And so when we can actually say, oh my gosh, thank you so much, brain. You're keeping me really safe. I appreciate you, but I'm going to go and do this thing anyway. And I know that I can figure it out and I can work through whatever comes up with that. And I'm going to be okay. But thank you for keeping me safe. Yeah. And then the next episode of like progressive exposure to some of the actions that you fear might lead to those consequences um and it's just like gradually teaching that threat detection system in your brain to be like you've encountered the thing we were okay we can chill out a bit more in those kind of situations but yeah it's a process and it's a normal part of the process normal everyone will be there at some point so i just want to quickly ask you holly we've just got a couple of minutes left here but how did you get through it? Like when you were feeling that, can you remember like when you were making those changes with like going through your HA recovery, um, which is kind of like, I mean, it was HA recovery for both of us. That was kind of like sparked all of this change, I guess. Right. But can you remember what kind of got you through that kind of messy part? Well, there were two things. Going? Like one, one was like my core value of integrity where I was like, I can't, preach health like holistic health to other people and to my clients and not attempt to embody that myself uh and the second one was that I was like I can go back to this at any time yeah I was like I know what this feels like I know how to be here I've done it um 
you know, uh, overly effectively for many, many years and I can come back and I may as well try the other thing and then I'll come back to this. And I did, I did fear setting. I did all of that stuff. Like that was very helpful to me. We're just being like, I can come back. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that that is such a helpful thing. Um, and it's something that I say to clients all the time. I'm like, you can always go back to what you were doing. Like there is nothing set in stone here. You can always go back to what you're doing. And I think when you say that, it's kind of like, oh, I know for me, it kind of puts me in this place of like, oh, but why would I I do this thing? When someone says you can do it, instead of someone being like, no, you have to change this behavior. Yeah. When someone's like, no, you could totally keep doing it. You're kind of like, oh, oh, can I? Oh. What, but I don't really, mm. whereas if you keep, if you're only telling yourself like, I got to change, I got to change, I got to change, I got to change. Why? Don't even think about it. Like I got to change. You're going to start thinking up reasons. Yeah. To not. Yeah. Autonomy. That's ha- having choices and autonomy. It. it always reigns supreme. So um, great couple of questions, Holly. Great chat. Um, I think that we, yeah, had a good, um, a good couple of questions there that we talked about. Is there anything else that you would like to share with everyone? No, I think that's fantastic. I enjoyed our waffle today. Uh, Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Holly, for being here. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please go and share it with someone else that you think could benefit from it. Share it on Instagram. We love to see it. Um, And we will see you next week. Bye-bye.